Welcome to the Living It Up Podcast. This is the Living It Up Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of competitive golf. In this episode, we recap the route in Rome, where the Euros took command early and took care of business on the final two days to win the Ryder Cup. And we dig deeper into what could have happened differently and what should the U.S. team go do differently going forward. But first, this episode is brought to you by B. Dratty, the leader in performance golf apparel. B. Dratty makes the softest polos you'll ever wear, as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salts of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bdratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. This is Brian. I am joined by George and PGA Tour winner Billy Hurley III. Let's start with you, Billy. When you look at the final result, how much of the outcome in your estimation comes down to just sheer outperformance amongst, you know, highly competitive golfers to, you know, potential captain related blame about team selection or preparation or pairings to just some of the undercurrents that have been, you know, talked about and speculated about regarding the, uh, the cohesiveness or lack thereof inside of the, uh, the players team room for the U S I think about it's kind of 50, 50. I think that there's, more you could do in that cohesive captain all the extracurricular kind of tangential things but ultimately you have to play really good golf and ultimately you have to chip some balls in and you have to make some big putts and the U.S. team didn't do that and the European team did exactly that I mean when you just look at kind of day one and John Rahm and Victor Hovland on 18 tying matches, you know, in the afternoon was just incredible. I mean, like, it's just, they made the putts when they had to make the putts and when it was kind of seemingly going the U S S way and they flipped it. And now that said, I I think that, you know, the cohesiveness thing that they've, they've kind of downplayed it publicly said it's not a thing, but, to me, there's a little bit of a smoke fire kind of situation here, like where there's a lot of smoke, there's probably a fire somewhere. And so I, I think that there's something to that. I don't know how big it is, um, you, you know, but but I will say that in my estimation, Europe's done this forever better than I don't know, forever is the right term, but call it the last 10 years. They are more of a team than the U.S. is. It's like kind of not a secret anymore. It's It's just like for whatever reason they are. And I was doing some thinking about that. And I think there is a mentality of, you know, beat America, you you know, but beating America is beating the tip of the spear is beating the top of the pyramid in, in the world economy and the world stage today. And so there's something unifying and rallying around that, I think for the, for the European guys potentially. Um, So I don't know that they're more of a team or we're less of a team. I, I don't know where you would put it on that scale. Maybe, maybe the U S is plenty of a team and the European is just that much more of a team, but I will say like stupid little things like, you know, everybody wearing the same hat on day one would have been nice um, on the, on the U S side, you know, and, and I'm not even talking about Cantley's hat. I think Burns had a different hat than the rest of the team on day one. And, and so you know, Cantley's hat's silly and is it a thing, but like the guy's been number four in the world for how long, George, like 18,433, 893 weeks, 893 weeks. So like, cause you thought maybe last year or two years ago, he wasn't going to be on this team. You couldn't make a hat that fit him. 
give me a break. Like this just seems stupid to me that we can't like actually look ahead and like, well, we're all going to wear hats and, you know, and we'll, we will make one that fits everybody's head. Like that is a thing we can do in the world today. So um, just stuff like that, you know, I mean, I, from the jump, never thought Zach did a great job as a captain, even leading up to it. He, he, he's just not a good press conference. Um, and, and that was apparent, you know, nine months ahead of time in, in some of the things he said and, and, and did. Um, and then there's just too many little blunders by him, in my opinion, throughout the week, you, you know, just kind of not getting the score, right. Whatever he said to Jordan on 16 didn't work. Oh my God. Um, just a calamity. You know, there. I mean, like, I mean, he said he didn't tell him to change clubs. Right. But like, I mean, well, whatever he said didn't work. Now, ultimately Jordan hit it in the neck and, you know, neck to three wood into a right to left wind. Like that doesn't work. Okay. But um, just, just some, some stuff like that, where you just kind of like, I mean, you know, it's kind of a smoke there's fire again thing to me. It's like, they're just enough little things that you can't ignore them all. You got to kind of, take some, some blame for him. I mean, you, you know, and, and they talked about it. Like Zach had contingencies for contingencies and then changed nothing from his like original plan. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Back to the original question. You have to play great golf. It is 24 of the best golfers on the planet. And so, you know, average or good golf doesn't win one of these things. Great golf does. And so the European to- team played great golf and the u.s team did not and so could they have played better golf if some of these other things were taken care of and not distractions maybe would they still gotten beat probably yeah and to your point about you got to play good golf i think if you were to rank the players one through 24 who showed up the top u.s player is maybe fifth arguably even sixth maybe correct europe's top four were just they were absolutely the guys no question and you could kind of debate whether you know four and five is it is it Hatton is it Tommy you know uh, I think Fitzpatrick was a little choppy but you know um, I mean I was watching and I forget who basically where does Homa get in right like does he get into the fifth spot does he get into the sixth spot does he like how how many Europeans played better yeah just just looking at data golf and I went to strokes gain total it was Hovland Rom McElroy Fleetwood top four and then you get to Cantlay and Homa Hatton comes in at seventh Burns at eighth so we had you know numbers five and six and it's tough to tough to play well when their top four are just crushing us and we're also the bringing the bottom of the barrel with us too. So, uh, well, but we like did... Scotty Scheffler's the you know strokes gain ball striking leader of the universe, and he's like twelfth in this list or whatever, you know. So, I mean, he just didn't play well, right? And so now we start talking about you know Jordan even said it at the end, like, well, you know, it's really not good for us to have five weeks off. Then go play Wentworth. Like, just shut up. Like, you can get into Wentworth and play the BMW. Like, they'll let you in. Like, you're Jordan yeah. Spieth. You're you're Patrick Cantley. You're Scotty Scheffler. You're, I mean, like, give me a break. These are solvable problems. Go play Fortinet. The two guys who played Fortinet for the U.S. played well. And, and I'll say this as well, because I heard there was talk. This could have been Azinger. Someone said Luke Donald you know, in the, in the practice rounds created these like stressful situations. He said, Hey, you, you versus you, you're playing a little three hole match. 
who knows if there were stakes involved, but I do think like, I know there was a scouting trip. I know Cantlay and Xander didn't show up for the scouting trip. You know, I, I joked in one of our chats, George, and like speed, that, his wife yeah. had a baby. Yeah. yeah. We'll, well, we'll he, he that one. Like that but, one. You but, but what I, but what I said is like, you know, if I'm Zach, I would have said, you know, thousand dollar point wolf hammer game like figure out a way to like put some money on the line make these guys sweat over that six footer i'll tell you in the first day i saw xander miss so many of that like three to eight foot range that like you never see xander miss like he is one of the more dependable short range sort of medium length putters and gosh the guy was just pulling putts all over the map and it just looked like rust right from the jump you know we'd go down 4-0 um, and it's one of those things, and George, I'll kick it to you just to talk about more about the kind of team cohesiveness undercurrents. There was this image, and I think it was match number two out of the gates, the, the foursomes match, and it was Xander and Patrick Cantlay, and I, I believe it was Rom and, and Tyrrell Hatton. I may have this wrong, but the image was so succinct in that you had guys that looked somber on the U.S. side. They were kind of standing a foot or so apart. Their eyes are cast downward. And then you had Tyrrell Hatton just like, looking like he was so pumped up to play his arm around John Rom. They look like a team. They're like really fired up to play. And it was like in that moment, I just had these like weird icky feelings. Like what's going on here. Are we like, are we flat? And then of course there's all this sickness stuff and there's all these undercurrents of players wanting to get paid, et cetera, et cetera. So George, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. Like what do you, when you assess this, where do you place the sort of relative blame across captain preparation, rust, undercurrents of of you know team disunity this episode is brought to you by b dratty the leader in performance golf apparel 10 years ago b dratty started out on a mission to make superior performance golf polos they traded shiny synthetic fabrics for soft organic peruvian pima cotton and kept the details clean and simple today b dratty still makes the softest polos you'll ever wear as well as ridiculously comfortable quarter zips, shorts, t-shirts, and even boxers. Their colors and fabrics are all naturally aged by the salt of the ocean for that perfectly lived-in vibe. Head to bedratty.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at Bedratty for their support of the Living It Up podcast. Well, as I was talking about with the you know, the, the top five, four players were on the European side. So while I think we could point to a number of things Zach Johnson did poorly, um, when you show up, and again, your best guy is the fifth best guy at the tournament, you're already, you could make all the right moves, and I don't know that you could still get over the hump. Um, and, and it was interesting because, you know, a, a few takeaways I had was I'm curious if the U.S., was sort of rolling in a little bit arrogant, you know, thinking 199, we got most of the same horses back. And, you know, there was all the chatter leading into the, the Ryder Cup selection. Who's Europe going to round it out with? I mean, who who is that guy? What do they have? Who, you know, they're really scraping the bottom. And, you know, turned out Ludwig probably going to be pretty good. Uh, as a professional the the kid showed out played really hard he ultimately kind of got beaten pretty solid by brooks and singles but up until that point i mean has all the tools gonna look great um victor uh, i'll just be right out in front and i'll say 
this time next year, Victor Hovland's the number one player in the world. Um, he just seems to be on the trajectory and swing seems dialed. Uh, all the mentals seem like this, this guy's just enjoying his life more than anyone else is enjoying theirs. And that just seems right to go on a tear in. I, I look back to, and it's, they're not exactly the same because he was, you know, obviously been a pro for a while, but sort of Scotty leaving whistling straights and then just rocket ship. And I kind of feel like Hovland had that dominant Scotty performance at this one where, you know, you'd argue, well, it's, it's Rom Rory are the guys, but walking out of there, like, hmm, I think Victor's at the moment, you know, and it's a very tight window, but I think Victor is, he asserted himself pretty much as the guy uh, for the European team. So I think, you know, and, and uh, what was it? Hoiberg, Hoigard, uh, Nikolai Hoigard. I had no idea how young he was. Um, he's younger than Ludwig. And he was, I guess you argue their scratchiest player, but he looked pretty good in most, you know, he, he made big, big putts, Fleetwood. Great. And so one of the big takes. Fleetwood only is, figures out how to putt at a Ryder cup. I mean, and like, I'll, you I'll tell you, kidding. Fleetwood, he, he's the Hatton, lovable and Rose. He, Fleetwood, Hatton, and Rose never saw like a 12 to 15 footer. They didn't just pour in the center. It was remarkable. Yeah. And Hatton, I was stunned watching him off the tee. He was putting it out past a lot of our guys. And, you know, we were, oh, the Americans are distance and length. And I'm like, Hatton's throwing it out there deep and he is hitting bombs. Um, so, the, the interesting thing was looking at the team construction, I think the Euros benefited from the live ban because it let them move on from Poulter, Westwood. You know, I don't I don't know how vocal Stenson is in the background, but like Poulter and Westwood and even Garcia, even though he has a very, very storied Ryder Cup career and you can tell it matters to him. I think you could argue the three of them are generally malcontents and maybe not the greatest locker room guys, if you will. And they brought in all this fresh stuff. The vibes are good. I mean, Rick, uh, Rory gets all fired up at Joe LaCava and Billy, I'll want your comments on, on that situation. And like, as a player, when a caddy's kind of taken center stage, what your thoughts are there. Whereas on the U S side, the absence, I know Brooks was there, but when you saw sort of the performances at the bottom of our team with the captain's picks, you know, you couldn't help but wonder, you know, all right, let's for sure say Keegan Bradley should have been there over, we'll say Ricky. Ricky, we'll throw you to the wolves. Keegan 100% has every reason to be super, super chippy that Ricky was there. Um, but then, you know, you look at, Wyndham Clark and I know I don't know if he qualified on points or he was second so he I mean I guess he could had to be there but to look at Burns like you know I know his shots strokes gained looked pretty good but otherwise didn't look that good so you know a course with three drivable par fours pretty gettable par fives is is a guy like Bryson or DJ going to be pretty useful on a course setup like that um, especially Bryson just coming up a win he shot 59 at Valderrama, which, you know, not an easy thing to go do. Uh, I think he won Greenbrier. So he had two wins this year, plus 
you know, a pretty good showing. And I know locker room malcontent, but from what were the reports we're getting today, were Cantley and Shoffley any better in that room? They seem to have their own stuff going on. Um, so I think the U.S. actually was at a loss because we actually have, I'd say, guys in their prime on live. And Zach Johnson, and this is this falls squarely on Zach Johnson. He just refused to look at him. And, you know, I've talked to people tied to the PGA of America. There absolutely was no edict that you can't bring them. Um, they actually had him walk back his statement he made at the very infancy of his captaincy, where he said, the only reason you're going to make this is because you're a PGA, you're a, P, you're a member of the PGA with your tour card. And if you don't have a tour card, you're not a member, so you can't come. And, you know, they, he sort of quietly had to walk that back. Uh, so that was, I think that was the biggest thing. And to Luke Donald, I will give him all the credit in the world on that singles lineup because, you know, the, the tide definitely started to move back to the U S on the Saturday four ball. And, you know, Cantlay was a monster down the stretch there. Um, and Luke Donald, when he set his lineup, throwing Fleetwood in what the 10 slot nine slot, you know, he, he threw him down there basically as the insurance policy of, Hey, we should be okay, but I want to make sure that like the guy I can trust, trust is bringing this home and probably playing a lower seed. And it, it worked to pure genius. I mean, yeah, it turned out he had Shane Lowry in the 10 spot, Tommy Fleetwood in the 11 spot as it came down to the wire. And it sort of, you know, the U S surge started to fade and all hopes uh, drifted away. Those were the guys that really had the clinching half point once they got to, you know, sort of a dormy state uh, in, in, in their matches. But I wanted to go back to the comment that you made, George, because I kept looking at all these drivable par fours and, and reachable par fives. And to me, I just kept seeing, and maybe this was you uh, rallying for DJ and then later Bryson. I just kept seeing their shot shape on some of these holes. Like I kept seeing on 16 as Spieth, you know, famously we talked about just sort of, you know, hits a little, you know, necky ball in the water. I'm like, you know who to hit a really comfy cut three wood there is Dustin Johnson. Like that thing would have just yep. gone 285 through the air, slope adjusted and just landed really softly. It wasn't going to go over the back of the green. It was just going to curl down toward the right. And I just kept seeing Bryson like hit into some of those, particularly those longer, you know, drivable par fours or the par fives that required like a hard draw. Like he hits that like driving iron 240 yards and it would have worked on like four or five of those shots that you saw, whether it was the shot, second shot into 18 or some of these drivable par fours. And it is funny that every time the U.S. would have, you know, a, a, an opportunity, like you said, Billy, where it looked like they could, you know, seize the momentum, we would seem to do something inexplicable or just, you know, such that I looked at other players and was like, oh man, I, I think, I think Keegan would have, would have figured that out, or he would have gotten up and down there. Or I think, you know, Bryson could have driven that green, or I think DJ could have, could have brought that home. Um, and again, it's hindsight's always 2020. We can always armchair quarterback this thing, but I do. And we we've said this from, for many months, I just think it was, uh, you know, malpractice to not give the live guys a, a fair shot, uh, particularly DJ and Bryson, because they were kind of in form or had had a lot of obviously history in, in the form of DJ. Yeah, and I I was going to um, throw out there that, you know, the 
Keegan in particular, the team was just flat. They were always, I, I just never got energy from them ever. And some of it, you know, they got blitzed on the morning session. And so that definitely can probably deflate a room, but I feel like Keegan, he just strikes me as a, as a guy who's going to fight and kick and claw and scratch. And that would carry over a little bit. So that's another part where, you know, building the team and trying to figure out, you know, blending these personalities, you know, I think when we look forward to Beth page, you know, I'm sure there'll be a full post-mortem and all kinds of things, but, you know, honestly, I think JT and Spieth are a giant liability because they won't play with anybody else, right? If What if you send out JT and Brooks? What if you send out JT and, you know, Sam Burns? A anybody, mix that up somehow, break that up because it was a calamity um, out there nonstop for those two. And, and I think you've got to, you got to break that up to you know do the thing and patrick reed famously said well if you've got good friends or whatever and he was kind of grumpy after paris but you know the reality is like i think he's kind of a little prescient about it well you know how you break up jordan and justin you don't pick justin and then justin's the one who played pick. better no 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 i mean he was you, you had to pick jordan I mean, he was like eighth yeah. in points, I think, right? It was, you know, yeah. so so it was kind of like that's the there was an easy pick. Like you can't you can't fault the Jordan, you know, even though they're they're lumping all the captains' picks together and what is it four twelve and four or something like that. But you know, Brooks and Brooks Jordan and Morikawa, you you had to pick. That was not that was not a question mark. That was not like a decision point, right? So we can. We can, you know, talk about Justin, Ricky, and Sam Burns, and then really you just talk about maybe Ricky and Sam Burns because Justin actually, to me, validated his pick. Like he played well enough to me to say that he was he was deserving of being there. But I'll go back to the fact that only two guys on the team played Fortinet, and that was Max Homa and Justin Thomas, and those are the guys who kind of. Max lived up to it. I mean, Harmon played well, I, I think, but Max really lived up to it. And and Justin validated the fact that he should be there. Nobody else did much of much, you, and you know. Just, yeah. And so I think there's something to being sharp. Five weeks off is too much. And and just as much as I thought that uh, Hovland's performance might catapult him to a monster 24, I'm curious to see how Max does because Max – showed up um his his decision on 18 on sunday with just an atrocious lie rather than try some low percentage hero shot recognized hey i'll take my unplayable i'll be hitting four i can make five and they've got to make a putt and you know he he hit the shot got himself the putt he made the putt got the he kept the full point by doing that and i mean in that moment where everything has got to be moving very quickly in your head uh, uh you know the the earth has fully spun off its axis and you are hanging on to walk through it with griner you know all the potentials nope take our medicine get five make them you know 
make them get four to have it. Um, just incredible stones, composure. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Max fan. So I was super stoked to see, see that one come out. And I'd like to see, you know, if his confidence now, if he gains con- even more confidence because of the, the gravity of that moment, everything to do what he had to do and, and take care of business. I'd like to see him have, you know, breakthrough for like a major in, in 24. Yeah, I, I do think this can be a huge springboard. And for me, it was three guys. George, you already touched on Victor Hoblin. But for me, uh, you know, also Tyrrell Hatton for me really showed out. And then Max Homa, just being able to, you know, thrive under the pressure, make the putts when you need to. I, I caught a quick tidbit that said Scotty Scheffler was hanging out on the 18th green when that drop situation happened. I suppose he thought it was actually a sprinkler head or like, you know, some, some free drop. And so he was like, Oh, that's cool. So you won two up. And he like did not understand the gravity of that putt. And that had that putt not dropped the, 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 the Ryder cup would have been uh, lost right there on that green. But I wanted to go back to uh, Billy. We talked during the Walker cup, there were some uh, excessive, not excessive, but some suspect uh, good goods that were given. I didn't see any good goods, but I, but I did see Ricky Fowler concede a putt. And granted this putt is, two feet ish, call it somewhere around, you know, 18 to, to, to 26, you know, 30 inches. But this is a to win the Ryder cup. Like, are you giving this putt under any, any circumstances? This episode is brought to you by our friends at zero restriction for more than 30 years. Zero restriction has been the leader in outdoor technical golf apparel. Check them out at zerorestriction.com and use code LIVINGITUP30 for 30% off your purchase. Thanks to our friends at zerorestriction.com for their support of the Living It Up podcast. I mean, there is just no defense for that move, in in my opinion. I, I mean, like, he's trying to get an early, you know, there's like the, the, the Twitter pundits, he's trying to get one more, you know, feather in the cap for the Nicholas Jacklin award for sportsmanship or something. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I mean like what the, and so, so there's two, there's, there's one of two possibilities and they're both really, really bad. Right. One is he didn't know the situation of the Ryder cup, which is indefensible for not. And, and, if, and if that's the case for Ricky, it's not his fault. There's a captain, four vice captains and four players who have, who are no longer playing golf on this, on this golf course. If you could not tell Ricky and his caddy that we need them all, like we need every point left on this golf course, if that was not communicated to him, then that's just, you know, put another, you know, bullet in Zach Johnson's armor, you you know, because anyway, or, okay, so that's bad. Now, if he knows the situation and he's just going to give a 30-inch putt or whatever it was, you, you know, two and a half footer, to to not the best putter on the European team, okay? Like, let's just be honest, right? I mean, he's probably number nine or 10 Fleetwood in putting on the team of who I would like, if I were going to stack him, who I wanted to make that putt, he's going to be number nine or 10. And so does he make 99 out of 100 of them? Yes, of course he does. But there's one. There's one. And you needed the one. And so to me, that's just, that's, that well, was crazy. There, there's a third possibility, which might be worst of all. Ricky didn't want to make that putt 
he didn't want to take that putt because I don't think he thought he was going to make. I mean, he had probably four and a half feet. We'd seen a lot of people kind of miss it up to the right a little bit. It had a little sneaky break in it. Um, I don't think he wanted to stand over that putt and force the issue. That would be worse. And that's the worst. And I, I think, you know, he's got a very poor Ryder Cup record. And I think unless he makes it on points going forward, I don't think you can bring him back. I, I just I'm sorry. even more of a point to go make the putt and make the guy make it. Like this is just the I, whole I thing. Agree. To me. No, whole I agree. No, I agree. And and you could in in his defense, he can sit there and tell you, look, if I put it and make it, he's I'm giving him the line. He's not missing. Let's let's move on. But you still. I mean, in our silly Friday game, it doesn't matter if you have two inches for birdie. Birdie has to hit the cup. So, like, you gotta, you gotta do it. You just gotta make him make that putt. And you gotta, you wanted to be here. You lobbied to be here. You have to step up when the light shines brightest and make your putt and force him to make his. Yeah, you gotta force it. I mean, even if you miss it, you gotta force him to to not horseshoe it to another two and a half footer. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, whatever. So, yeah, that's my yeah. stance on that. It, Not yeah, a good... it, it, it made for some funny optics. There was even like that brief moment where, you know, Fleetwood had probably hears like, yeah, that's good. Pick it up. And he knows in that brief moment, like, I just won the Ryder Cup. And like, you sort of saw it in his face. And then he like turns to the crowd and, you know, goes goes nuts and, you know, picks up his mark, et cetera, et cetera. So, it, yeah, so one he of those... knew the situation. He absolutely knew the situation. <laughs> so it's it's indefensible that Ricky didn't. But I wanted to do some maybe quicker hits on, we've already talked a little bit about Joe LaCava and all the drama that surrounded, you know, the end of the Saturday session, the hat waving. At that point, everyone knew the the hat gate and all the drama that was supposedly out there in, in the U.S. team room. You know, Billy, what do you make of, if you've seen like kind of the full length of the video where he's sort of, you know, maybe being a bit excessive in his celebration, kind of walking where Rory, or near where Rory is lining up his putt that, you know, could have tied that match. Uh, what do you make of uh, Joe LaCava? Obviously, veteran caddy, perhaps yeah, knows better, but the, maybe gets caught up in the situation. Yeah. So the first video I saw, I was kind of like, eh, yeah, he probably, you know, but okay, it happens. Like, not that bad. Then I saw like another video from another angle, and I was like, oh my, he has zero business being where he is. If his if he was a player, he had zero business being where he was. So, I mean, he just obviously lost his mind for a minute, you, you know, and and just kind of got caught up in the moment, and it got the best of him. But Joe Lacava had absolutely zero business being where he was. He could have done everything that he did from fifteen feet closer to the back edge of the green where Patrick and, and who was Patrick playing? doesn't matter where Patrick was standing and it would have been fine, but he just was too, he was in the middle of the green and he, and he no business being there. Is there any part of you and maybe George, I'll kick it to you. Is there any part of you that thinks Joe just knew that the U S needed to, to get like some, some fire in their belly and figured I'm going to pick a fight. Like I saw a hilarious, like, Twitter exchange, fake Twitter exchange between Tiger and Joe LaCava. And he's like, Joe, what's going on? Oh, this guy's got 
this guy's got no energy cat you know he's like pick a fight who do i do it with i don't know anyone just pick a fight no and i mean i guess that that's your best defense of lacava is like i gotta i gotta light a fire out here i gotta get something going and you know it's it's hard to believe in that moment because you know he might have been thinking that during the round this is scuffling this is like we're just dragging we just gotta you know gotta do something to to pep this up but his player had just made the huge putt had battled all the way back and you know for all the group can't like got this week and kind of follow up and everything else i mean kind of next to max he was the just stone giant out there who which i'll, I'll get to one other point when i'm done here but i don't know in the moment lacava had all that i think he kind of got swept up you know i saw a number of of profet pros kind of on twitter jump to his defense saying look lacava is a consummate pro he's been out there on big time bags he's not some jabroni moron he just kind of got caught up you know he'll he'll do the right thing and and make it right um which was kind of awkward on the 18th um when roy finished and they were interviewing and they're like so we heard that uh you you and joe talked i haven't talked to joe the the joe reach i i haven't talked to joe right like there was a lot of suspect reporting coming out of the Ryder cup with some th things i guess one of them turned out to maybe be quasi accurate we still haven't gotten all the details on it um but that one in particular was very awkward where he's like nope haven't talked to him yet and you know uh i hope it's sort of simmered down it is a little bit of a tempest in a teapot given hey you're you're one shake and make up it's all good um but you know the going back to cantley who was just kind of and he, he's like this everywhere right zero emotion out there you know he almost looks disinterested a lot of times and no one knocks him for it but everyone kills dj for the exact same thing and they both you know also have similar games they're you know they hit the ball a mile they're good players great players although Cantlay's never won a major but like he doesn't get the knock that dj does and they both have that same you know, you wouldn't know if they drained a 40 foot bomb for Eagle or rolled tapped in two inches for a comfy par. It's just all the same for them. And I just think it's a little unfair. Uh, that was my DJ apology corner. But I'll tell you in that Saturday, I mean, that was an electric session. The Saturday afternoon four ball session, U.S. actually wins three of those matches. The first two, Sam Burns, Colin Morikawa, get the business done against Victor Hovland, Ludwig Aberg. And that was, you know, one of their star pairings, Max Homa, Brian Harmon win two consecutive matches that day in, in the afternoon over Fleetwood and Hoygaard. And then again, you know, JT and Jordan kind of limp in, lose to what I think is the, the weakest pairing going in, which is Robert McIntyre, Justin Rose. And then what I thought was noteworthy about the, the fourth match, the fourth and final match that came down to this ultimate, you know, showdown with Joe LaCava and Rory and Matt Fitzpatrick was... Uh, at no point did the U.S. lead that match at all until the 18th hole when they flipped it from a tie to a win. So they had been battling a one down, you know, disadvantage all day, kind of tied it up a few times, but it was kind of one up throughout the day, a grudge match uh, of a match. And, and you know, Patrick Birdie's 16, 17 and 18. And I don't, I don't know if I 
give him that same sort of nod that I gave to to Hatton and to to Hovland and to Homa, because I've seen Patrick not show up in majors so many times before, whereas these other guys seem like they're on the way up. But George, do you think that this perhaps like portends that you know Patrick Cantley is actually going to get over the the major hump that seems no. to have uh, no, no no because we've seen him. I mean, Stuck we've seen him fourth in the world. Just, just yeah. can't. No, he's can't, fifth can't now. He's fifth. I know, it's over. He's fifth. I know. I know. Just, our, just... our queen is dead. Um, no, but this is always what he's done, right? Like, I mean, you look through FedEx Cup, you look through some big tournaments that he's won that aren't majors, and like he, he is sort of, and people talk about it, he's kind of the most frustrating guy that he hasn't won a major, right? He, he doesn't hit it off the planet. He never has the big miss or anything else. Everyone's like, wow, he's kind of built for us opens. He's got this super mellow demeanor. You know, he just keeps the ball in front of him. It looks fairly robotic. And when he's on, it looks really, really easy. Uh, But then it just goes away. And, you know, he, he never blows up and, you know, has three missed cuts in a row or something really bad, but he's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this changes anything for him because he just – he strikes me as one of those guys more so, I think, than DJ because if you go back to – what was it, 2016? I guess it's kind of 15, 16 when DJ was basically Cantley. Like, why hasn't this guy broken through? He's been knocking on the door. He's been knocking on the door. He's super talented. And it came out that he literally went – to i guess like dave pals and he's like all right man i gotta figure out how to wedge i've got a wedge into 60 percent of my par fours i gotta figure out how to hit a wedge and then he became the number one player in the world and he got a u.s open and later got a masters but i don't know i don't see that from cantley i mean maybe he'll get there but it just seems like like truly it seems like he just doesn't care he knows he's super good He's made a ton of money, and I think he's good with that. He's one of those guys I could easily see, you know, at 35 or something when it starts to sort of really get wobbly, and he's like, I'm I'm good. See you guys later. He does like to get paid, though, if you believe the rumors. And I'm curious, uh, for you guys, let's talk a little bit about that, because I was looking up, you know, just generally speaking, what the Ryder Cup, historically, there's been, you know, consternation amongst the players. This dates back you know, in, in my time watching the Ryder Cup to the late 90s, you heard some grumblings from from Duvall, Mark O'Mara, and others about, about being paid. David Duvall and conspicuously, actually, they've never been even breathed to be captains, which I think is a little bit hmm, of an interesting That is interesting. Fact. No, not Duvall, even assistant captains, yeah. Duvall would bring, I think, a little bit of some red ass to that captaincy that we might need. But he even he even uh, predicted. He said we may see a boycott here. You know, and, you know, from '99, he was making this comment. Yeah, in the next few sessions, like of the Ryder Cup, you may see a boycott. They they kind of reverse course a little bit, although it's a little bit of just you know moving money from one bucket to another. They now make a two hundred thousand dollar donation in in a player's name at a charity of their choice. And I did see that there is twenty percent of the media rights, so that's fifty five million dollars each. You know, session of the Ryder Cup that NBC pays for it. So 20% of that 11 million goes into a player's deferred compensation. But as we were chatting about that, that goes into more of a general deferred compensation bucket for all PGA tour members. And so these guys are not being, you know, compensated necessarily, 
in market value. We were talking about like, what would that number have to be? You know, Billy, what what, what do you think a, a fair compensation would need to be for an entire week's worth of work? We were talking about, you know, what Ricky Fowler might make in a, you know, a, a corporate outing. And, and that's probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you're talking about you, you're playing on the largest stage, it's, 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 it's a major, right. It's in that bucket of like, you know, how much the winner should win. So like the, what's that like $4 million basically now 3.5, $4 million. And obviously there's 24 guys there. Um, but I think it has to be, I think it has to be 500,000 to a million a person to, to get kind of, to where it's like worth even considering doing it because if you gave everybody a hundred thousand dollars it's kind of a slap in the face like i i mean like all these guys just made 10 plus million you know so we're gonna give you one percent so what you're basically you know, saying 1% is one percent more this year congratulations we need, whatever we, we're looking to have the Ryder cup presented by a ramco with a 10 million dollar purse Six million to the winning team, four million to the losing team. I mean, make it eight and two. You you know what I mean? Like I mean, like why would you? So I mean, but it's. I don't think that's the answer. Okay, I don't think that's the answer. But the money has gotten so big. This was not an issue in the seventies, in the eighties. It was more about country. It was more about making a team and 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 representing your country and doing those things. Because the money was inconsequential. You got a free trip to Europe. Like that was a pretty good deal in the 70s, right? I mean, they, some of the guys didn't go play the British because it, it was a losing adventure kind of thing. So um, I, I think that when you start talking about the amount of money you're talking about, Brian, the, the you know, $55 million every two years kind of kind of deal for the for the TV. That's just the TV. Okay. We're not we didn't talk about hospitality. We didn't talk about merchandise. We didn't, you know, we didn't talk about um you know, that's just NBC in the US. We didn't talk about worldwide. Okay. Like, so, so let's call it a hundred million dollars that's being made on, on the Ryder Cup, which is probably low because as I understand it, like, as I understand it, the majors are like 150 or a $200 million business. The players is about a hundred and a normal events, like 50 to 75, depending on which event it is from like, kind of, you just think about a, a business model perspective. So, um, so yeah, the Ryder Cup's got to be, you know, hundred, hundred and fifty million dollar business minimum. So if you're you're somebody's taking all of that money, and I'm not saying that people aren't doing work to to make that money happen, but if there aren't 24 of the world's best players there, the thing doesn't exist. And and so it is real that you're like, you know, making money um for an organization that the players don't really work for um at least on the u.s side in the in the european side it, it that it is controlled more by the european tour the dp world tour but the european tour leadership so but in the u.s side it's the pga of america which i mean aside from one week a year don't pay any of the players the one week being the pga championship so the, it, it is a real thing I, I, and and I don't think there's a great solve for it. And I think if you're, you know, kind of under that 500, even pushing a million dollar a man, um, then you ought just not even broach it and just stay right where it is and just say this is, you know, for king and country kind of kind of thing for European and US and, and 
you know, it is good for guys' careers. It's good for their brands. It's good. So that, that, that leads to downstream dollars, but it's not probably a lot. Most of these guys are already, you know, making 10 plus million off the course. The one, you know, the, the guys who it's not their first time around for the Ryder cup anyway. Well, and I'd be curious to know, you know, we talked about like what a corporate outing is and, you know, if you're a, a regular tour pro, do you get 50 grand for a corporate outing? Nope. If you're a, if you're a PGA tour winner, do you get like a hundred grand for a, nope. and if you're a Ryder cup winner, do you get 600,000 instead of 300,000 or whatever it is, right? Like I, that'd be the, my question is sort of like, to your point, Billy, does it boost your off course potential? Because it definitely does. There's no question about that, but it's not, it's not as linear as you just laid it out. Right. Because like Ricky Fowler doesn't do corporate outings. Right. Ricky Fowler does corporate outings for Rocket Mortgage, but that's sure. rolled up into a contract. It's not a you know what I mean? Like that's rolled up into a bigger number. He does. Mm-hmm. He does outings for Puma, but that's rolled up into a bigger number. It's not like this day is worth 500 and this day is worth 250. And what it's not, you know, not not quite quite how those how those things are, are structured. And so he's not you know, these guys that are there are are not doing, you know, days for pay like like that you know maybe a a dinner here or there kind of thing but most of their days are nike rolex um you know under armor just just kind of rattling off you know titleist etc etc rattling off the the you know names that they have on their hats goldman sachs um etc so yeah dewalt that was another great tweet that the biggest tool on the team has got a, a, a tool maker as a sponsor um but uh the yeah it's just not that it's just not that simple so but it is a real thing i mean like how would either of you go to work for a week for free is just there a government fun? shutdown am i government employee i don't know yeah no but i mean seriously right they're not going they, i mean if, if the government shuts down they're not going to work i don't know i i, I, I mean, look at so, it I mean, I, I can look at it to your point for flag and country or crown and country, whatever, and and say, well, you know, the Olympics, professional athletes in the Olympics basically get a USOC stipend. And it's not. Yeah, glory. but it's their not, endorsements so- go skyrocketed based on that. They, they, I mean, they make the money on the back end on the gold medal, right? Like, so but, it's, a, slight, so it's then, a different business model. But so that, that would be my question is, you know, when they come up for their next club deal or the next, you know, Nike deal or Puma deal, whatever it is. If they're Ryder cup champion, does that get them to say, Hey boys, instead of 700 grand a a year, you know, or whatever the number is, I know it's astronomical and I'm way low, but you know, like let's, let's put a zero on on which guy on the team you're talking about. Yeah. You're not going to put a zero on it. You're not going to put a zero on it. It's not going to factor a 10. Right. Yeah. That that's might my go question factor is, of might go, you know, 50% higher. Right. Yeah. I mean, and so but, that um, that's kind of my, my thought on it because, you know, to their, to the point then I was talking with someone on Twitter about it last night and they're like, no, you know, they're off the course. Stuff. I was like, yeah, but you know, if I'm, if I'm Puma, we'll use Ricky as the example. <clears throat> I don't know that I put a huge Ryder cup kicker in there 
because you're not wearing your Puma gear out on the course. No, the, the kickers are majors. I mean, that that's yeah. where the bonuses are, right? I mean, like famously, like Lee Westwood never got paid by UPS because it was just a million dollar major win. Like that's 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 what the, the contract was, um, you, you know, so um, the, the, yeah, the, the, the kickers in those contracts are all majors because that photo lives forever with whatever logo is right here. Right. And and then the the thing just escalates from there, the name recognition, brand recognition, et cetera. So let's go back to maybe summarize the Ryder Cup. And I wanted to just ask you guys this question. There will be many that will look at this and say, we need to tear up the playbook, start from scratch, figure out what we're going to do. And I'll ask you guys two dimensions. One is around the number of captain's picks versus automatic qualifiers. And the other is kind of the the captaincy and vice captains as, as we know it. I'll kick it to you first, Billy. Do you think the U.S. needs a... Uh, a fundamental look at the number of captains picks and how we structure the uh, the captains and assistants going forward. I don't think the picks really matter. I mean, if you look at it, this team was going to be pretty much this team, regardless of how it was picked. Right. Cause it feels like you have to choose number seven and eight, and then maybe you kind of get to flex from there. So if you went to eight, you know, automatics and four picks or six and six, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it ultimately has that much difference in it. Right. Because like I just said, you're going to pick seven and eight pretty much every year. So the question is, should it be and 12 so, captains picks? Cause that's what a yeah, lot of people will banter around. So, They'll say, Hey, keep a list. Keep me, keep some rankings, help, help the captain choose, but give him, give him the leeway, give him 12 picks. It's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, and and I don't have the answer to that. I mean, I think that you should be able to control your own destiny. That's what we talk about in golf. It is, it is a meritocracy and, and there is a point of like play better. Okay. Like that was said a couple of times to, to, you know, around, around some of these ideas. And so if you do that, you should be rewarded, I think, and, and given the opportunity to, to shine. So I think there should be some way to automatically qualify on the captains, I think that that's where we have a vacuum in the U.S. Um, because nobody's gotten any experience. Y you know, I, I mean, the vice captains have been the same guys since like 1987. I, I mean, like how many times has Freddie been a President's Cup vice captain, captain, Ryder Cup captain, vice captain? hasn't been a Ryder Cup captain. Um, you know, like he's just been doing it for, and I get everybody loves him. Like, don't get me wrong. Like he's a great guy. He's a fun guy to be around and he, you know, keeps it light and everybody respects him and whatever. But I just think that there's gotta be like kind of who's next. I mean, you talk about Justin Leonard should be a vice captain here pretty soon. Shouldn't he, you, you, you know, should he have already been at once, you know, is he, is he in the mix for a, for a captain slot going down? I don't know. Right. Like, um, you know, obviously a big loss in, in kind of the way, Phil has kind of disgraced the whole thing of, of whatever. He'll probably never get one now. Um, does it just need to be Tiger Woods as captain and, and all cap vice captains with no one else in the room for the next 10 years? Like, I, I mean, I don't think that's the right answer, but I think that's an answer. And, and so I think that there just has to be honestly some more grooming of captains, you, you know, which comes through the vice captaincy. And and Europe has got that diversity of vice captaincy. Eduardo Molinari's got zero business being a vice captain 
like in this thing, but he runs the world's greatest golf statistics program that's ever existed. So he's, he's there to, to do that. You, you know, I mean, even, you know, so to, to me, the vice captain thing needs, it needs a real hard look. So on, I'll, I'll go even further. DL three, Freddie, like sort of this St. Simon's Jupiter network. Bye boys, go away. You're done. Like this is not your game anymore. Um, they, they gotta go away. And, and I think Justin Leonard would probably be a great pick. Um, you know, another fiery guy. Um, I would say maybe Duvall. I don't know if he has interest to do it or not. You know, I know Omira would would love it. Um, you know, I, has Lehman been a captain for the Ryder Cup? Good question. But you're starting to talk about some people that are too far gone, right? Well, like in I, the in the age brackets of this of the sport. I think the one thing I will say is as much as I think the 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 captain thing is a, is is a really really big deal you know who we didn't hear from this week that much luke donald you know who we heard from a lot zach johnson like it's almost like just get out of the way do everything in the background and just get out of the way and and that's what zach claimed he was doing and trying to do the less is more thing but luke did the you know locker for sevy like inspirational thing right and zach did none of that so i don't know again like hey if you win you're 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 great if you lose you got to rethink everything that's going on but there, there was a piece to me that that maybe because there's so much controversy around some of the u.s stuff and that same controversy for whatever reason doesn't exist in the european team for the most part you you end up talking to the captain more or because you're talking to a u.s audience you know on tv you're talking to that captain more i don't know if, if, you know, BBC and Sky Sports were talking more to Luke Donald and, and that was going over Europe or, or whatever, but um, there did seem to be almost like too much Zach Johnson to me. Well, and I think there's a couple things at play there. The First of all, Brian, also on the, the captain's pick, six and six is fine. It, it didn't really seem to affect Europe at all. Um, so I, I've, got, I've got no problem with six and six. Um, but I, I think, you know, the the issue with Luke being able to be in the background, you've got guys like Rory who's very comfortable talking, being I, I don't know if per se opinionated, but he's being he's he's very comfortable being candid in front of the media and, and talking. Uh John Rahm has, I think, really found his voice over the last 18 months. I didn't hear from him so much before. Um, but when he's spoken now, he strikes me as one of the more truly thoughtful people he doesn't waste words and what he says is in my opinion very very thoughtful never inflammatory i've never heard someone him finish a, a statement that gets kind of put on the internet or whatever and no one has sat there and been like just stop you know i i've kind of personally gotten a little tired R rory's come off as kind of sanctimonious over the last you know 18 months Rom has sort of been much more matter of fact about everything. And I think that works. The U S doesn't have any of those guys. Scotty's not, he's not a bad guy by any stretch. I just don't think he wants to talk that much or has that much to say. 
Um, and to some extent, because of the way everything's played out on the tour over the last 18 months, two years, Rory sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room and no one else has had to say anything because he always had the microphone shoved in his face. Um, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. The microphone was shoved in his face, whether or not he was seeking it out. I don't know. He probably should <laughs> learn to turn away when the microphone starts coming to him. Um, but you know, I, I don't think Jordan Spieth is, he's not uncomfortable in the microphone, but he doesn't seek it out. Uh, JT, I feel kind of the same way. Uh, a lot of people, and I, I go back and forth on JT, like the weather. Uh, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I kind of like it. And then other times I'm like, just enough with you, go away. So I, I think that's a, a bigger deal um, with the U.S. In, and we talked about this when Liv occurred. All the charisma and personality that would be the U.S. team went to Liv. And where the U.S. and the PGA Tour, by and large, is left with a lot of really, really nice guys, but they don't make you feel anything. And so if that's got to come from the captain, great. If it's got to come from a captain who can, unlike Zach, figure out what live golf is and understand how to evaluate someone who plays stroke play golf, you know, 14 times a year, great. But I, I think we've got to have a wholesale change in in what we look for and how we evaluate it. And, you know, I felt like a couple, you know, I made the joke that, you know, JT was Jordan's support animal and Sam Burns was Scotty's support animal to be there. And if someone's going to be bummed that their buddy doesn't get picked, we'll bench them too. We, we don't have a shortage of good players to choose from. And I think we've got fiery people who in this environment will will thrive and, and look for it so I, I think we we do need to sort of go back to the drawing board and really evaluate not as much obviously you have to have the game you can't be a middle of the pack you know lower tier player but we've got to really look at the the charisma and mental makeup of who we send and go get those guys who effectively thrive and and our firing, you know, is that is that the guys who, you know, I'm sure Billy, you can talk about a bunch of guys that on Tuesday when it's their money on the line, you know, you, you can't make them shoot higher than 63, but you know, on Sunday or whatever, it just didn't translate. And you know, there there are guys that just do that. And I think we have to look really hard at who those players are for cap most likely for captain's picks because they're probably not going to show up on the points and you know is, is that a tony fee now i don't know he's another guy that's super nice does he have that sort of killer in him that you need for an event like this so i go to the captain part and the assistant vice captain part and and billy you said it well when you talked about eduardo monolari and freddie couples and I, someone said this they were like I don't get the sense with a lot of the comments Freddie made. If you remember many months ago, he was like, oh yeah, Cam Young's on the team and just sort of like speaking out, out of his out of his ass. And then there's other parts that are like, Edward Manali eats, sleeps, and drinks the stats and this Ryder Cup and has for probably the last six to nine months. I don't get the same sense that like Fred Couples woke up every day and thought about the Ryder Cup. And it's almost like to me, you need a changing of the guard because 
I think there's a little bit of complacency with the vice captains and sort of like, yeah, we're going to choose from the vice captains, the next captain. And a lot of the names you guys threw around, I agree with, but I would like to see a bit more, uh, you know, even a, a nod toward people that are maybe not in like the golf ecosystem, like freaking make Michael Jordan an assistant captain and like get someone in there. That's just going to like really motivate these guys to, to go out and do their, do their best. And, and then on the, on the captain's picks, I'll, I'll give you my thought, which is, I think it should just be 12 captain's picks. I think the Euro captain and the U S captain should just wear that team. That is their team. They're given the reins. They assemble it. I do think there should be a points list. And I think, what would bring a lot of drama, not necessarily like in you know, like sort of artificial drama, would be if they told them you have to release your picks sort of like in three waves. Like you got to pick your first four picks on this date. And then a month later, you got to pick your next four picks. And the reason I say that is Wyndham Clark and, and Brian Harmon made it on points. I think both of them deserved it with winning majors this year and, and their play overall. But I actually think if if he was given 12 picks he might've really had to think about both Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon, given just the depth of the team and the guys that he could have chosen. And I think if he'd have given him, you know, pick your first four players, I don't know if he'd have picked those guys in his first four players. And that would be another signal for them to go out and say, Hey man, go prove it to me, go play the playoffs and play really well and show me that you're in good form. And I should take, you know, the fact that you won a major six months ago as signal as to why you're going to perform for me at the Ryder cup in a few weeks. And so I, I do think that, something like that, like some way to shake up the captain selections to either make it like you only get two captain's picks or 12 captain's picks might go a long way toward, I don't know, re-jiggering the the team as is. Uh, But I wanted to go to one thing that I I would say was in the news, but actually was not in the news. Before we totally move on from this? Yeah. Like I was just trying to go through names in my head uh, of guys that are still relevant in the playing world and everything else but getting towards that captaincy age and whatnot. I mean, what, what about like a Matt Kuchar or a Stuart Sink? I mean, those are the only two guys that come to mind. So that Stuart are their... was a vice captain this time around, right? Okay. So that was kind of the next one, like that you, you think might, and now, now Stuart and Zach are very close. Um, so there's, there's that piece of it that makes sense. But I think also like that, that is like the, the, the Stuart Sink um, thing. Um, there's an unofficial rule that you have to have won a major. They waive that for Stricker to do it in Wisconsin. Um, so Kucher, I think actually could be a pretty good vice captain. Um, he might not ever get to captaincy for that, for that reason. Um, you know, you, so you, but T- Tiger really puts a kink in the uh, pipeline of captains with his kind of puts a the... kink, especially, and then you add Phil who's like not eligible. And, uh, <laughs> and it's so, funny because I, I don't know that Phil hmm. kind of you talk about makes people feel things and, you know, you would know better than either of us would. But you hear behind the scenes and on tour. Phil's not super light is sort of the vibe I get. Like yeah, he's he tolerated was a vice captain in Wisconsin two years ago um, and obviously, you know, would would get one you know, in the absence of live would have had one might've had this one, you know, you know, um, kind of, kind of, kind of thing. And, and tiger gets it whenever he says I want it. Right. So, so that's just slot that in there whenever tiger wakes up and, and I wonder how he to do. do it. I, I, he might actually I do well. It's a, it's like a one or a zero. It's like a one or a zero for, for tiger. Right. I mean, I yeah. think that 
You might know. be good at be making captain's picks, but then all the all he, the I mean, stuff he did that good goes at the President's it. Cup, I guess. I mean, but I, again, I don't know how much Freddie Couples was just doing everything because he was actually a playing captain, whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 the the pipeline's interesting. It, it it's definitely, definitely President's Cup doesn't count. Like that's such a boat race doesn't count. So let's go to this article that surfaced and was behind a paywall for for many of us, which speculated that there is some funding sources on the horizon. You know, we are the clock is ticking. We are into the fourth quarter now. By the end of the year, we have to have a, a definitive agreement that ties a bow on the framework agreement. But George, we are hearing uh, rumors, and now we've got some articles that are speculating on on new funding sources. What do you make of uh of the timing and the uh, tone of this article? I. I, I honestly don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, having done some MA work and whatnot, there are there are oftentimes what's referred to as a stocking horse, which is, you know, something that's serious enough to to goose the actual, you know, acquirer to to move the numbers. I can't make heads or tails if this would be a stocking horse or not. And and I say that for a couple of reasons. First, um, one of the the groups that's in there is Fenway. Jay, I think, was at Fenway. He's got ties there. So I part of me says this could be a favor to him, put together something so he can go to players and be like, "Look, man, we shopped it and we couldn't. It it's, it just still doesn't work." Um, well, these were reported as unsolicited offers. Uh, yeah. Well. So I mean, uh, I mean, I'll just I'll just leave that for what it is. You guys tell me what you think. Because then, then I look at it and I say, you know, hey, you can you can value the PGA Tour. You you can run all the models and and put a valuation on it for how you want to buy it and do everything. But then, how do you discount it when you know your competitor is a Goliath who has shown they want to do this and have this new golf world and they have if they chose they have no budget you know they could come out with a whole new round of monster contracts to pick people off i know people were getting all excited uh brooks had a picture after the the event with uh ricky max Shoffley and I forget who the fourth one in the picture was all wearing smash GC shirts Burns. and Burns and, and, you know, Brooks is sitting there. I just make money moves and, and you know, people are like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. But it's like, ah, you know, does he not get to play if he brings those four guys to play to did someone not tell him it's a four man team at the, at the live, you know, event in a couple of weeks, but I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it's, it's like big companies, right? You, you get referral bonus for bringing people in. <laughs> so he's like, if I bring four in, I get 20 million. I don't care. I'm done. Uh, you know, with my, with my 110 or whatever he got to jump in the first place, tack an extra 20 on it. Plus his five Ryder cup bonus. Allegedly, uh, he might just be like, I'm going to just hang at home with the kid in the boat and I'm good. So I, I don't know what to make of it. It's so late in the game that I, if at the end of the day, there is a proposal made that falls just short so that everybody feels like whatever is the PIF deal is the best deal, then I'll kind of be vindicated in where my skepticism is right now. But I mean, who knows? I, I, I literally can't figure it out for the life of me. 
what's going on. I mean, this whole framework and negotiations and everything has been super duper quiet with the Ryder cup now behind us. I do feel like we're due for something to break because the, the European guys weren't going to, if any of the top European guys, now that there's sort of been peace in our time um, were to make a move now would be that time. And uh, everyone's sort of sounded like, why would I bother? Um, I'm perfectly happy where I'm at. The The new schedule's in place. These guys are all going to make a truckload of money. Um, the only one who might be curious would be Ludwig, because he's not in the designated events. He's not in all the cool stuff. Now, his game has shown he probably can play himself into it by you know, early to mid season, but he strikes me as I could play myself into that and I could make 25 million or Liv could just say, start building your Scandinavian team. And here's 85 million right now. Um, And at 24 years old or whatever he is, that might be tricky to, to do. And then the interesting piece is if, any of the big European stars were to consider it, how would the DP tour respond for the Ryder cup in 2024? Would they then be like, well, all right, anyone who is, you know, you can, if you're on live, but otherwise eligible, then you can come play. So I, frankly, I I don't know what to make of it. Um, It's, it's very curious. Billy commented about this. The most curious part of this news report is that it has not been reported in the golf media at all. I mean, it was a Bloomberg business report. Uh, Herrig hasn't commented. Shipnuck hasn't commented. Jamie Weir could probably buy some credibility back if he'd comment on it. Um, You know, there's a lot of guys out there that have been super duper mum on this. And I also think the timing of it was very curious that this story sort of drops on Thursday as balls are about to get in the air on Friday at the Ryder cup. Yeah. I don't call that so much curious as I call it masterful. Um, Because what better time to kind of drip something like this out there and have it kind of go away than, than the weekend of the Ryder cup. What I can't figure out is exactly what you just said, George. Like I understood kind of why nobody touched it during the Ryder cup. Like I was, I was okay with that. Well, I thought it was odd um, because it was a decently big story, even without substance. It's a decently big story in the whole PIF PGA tour framework to definitive agreement saga. Um, So I, but I kind of understood that, but now here we are, you know, 1030 on the East coast on Monday after the Ryder cup and those same people you just mentioned, have still said nothing. And so it's, it's an interesting thing to me. And I'm, you know, the cynic in me wonders, you know, where the gag order is on, on, on talking about this. It could just be that everyone's getting ready for the fifth major, which is Sanderson farms coming up this week. This will be a, uh, a, an event that everyone looks forward to on their schedule. Um, Lots of eyeballs. No, Everybody it, wants a chicken on their trophy. Case. Best, best trophy in sports. It, it is. It is actually the best trophy in sports. So th- there is that to look forward to. But I don't want to 
to tie a bow on this episode until George, we check in on how we're trending on our on our on our betting escapades. I do know that you invested a bit in the euros. I don't know if you if you if you can gloat on that one, but uh, how, how, are, how are we doing? We are. First of all, USC has got to learn to close a game out and cover a spread for Christ's sake. Um, right now we are, we are looking at, um, I don't even know if I can do like Greyhound bus down to Georgia. Now, uh, we might be looking at trail. We're just going to, we're just going to army Navy country club for the Friday I, men's game. Is I, that where we're, know, we're, we're headed you, now? You, you know what we, we got, we got to the, take a uh, bike though. We, we got the sub- September invoice paid at the current rate. October invoice is going to be October dues are looking kind of sketchy. Um, <laughs> if things don't really turn around here. So we're uh, maybe spirit has some flights into Savannah. That's how I are we on a rebuy corners. yet. Or are we, are we have, are we, we are not we, at a rebuy. We are, okay. we are officially in the red though. We are officially in the red. Uh, I, I made some, I, I really thought I had a good thing going. Um, and USC, just i they just killed me i i don't know what to make of them um so i'm gonna take a hard look this week i gotta get aggressive it's kind of just swing for the fences pick pick one just load the boat let it ride and and try to double up here and there even on the euros i have to admit during the the saturday afternoon where i start to started to feel kind of like what i thought was a groundswell i i actually cashed out early um my fan duel no free ads uh they they let me they let you cash out i think if you have a money line bet you can cash out at certain points and i already doubled my money so you know instead of going for the full plus 150 i basically cashed out at like plus 110 uh so um which was great cuz i i would have been a basket case at about 10 30 a.m on uh sunday morning as it was looking really dodgy for a hot minute there uh in the singles so currently we started with 100 we're currently sitting at about like 86.50 from a high of about 490 um so yeah you know so the bright side though we're technically only 1350 in the hole yeah, obviously we've had some it's a paper long ways losses. down from 490. That's a tough. We, we've had tough some paper losses. Yeah, we've had some paper losses. You hate to see that, uh, but you know we are we're not out of it yet, and there are some good NFL games this weekend, some good matchups that I think set up well. To are you investing in Taylor Swift prop bets yet? You know, I am, I am not, um, because I think she might she might be the Yoko Ono of the NFL. Um, I know the, the chiefs have won both of their games so far. I don't know if they've covered either of them. I was going to say, um, I know that slide at the end of regulation broke some hearts. That was a, a very bad beat for, for a number of people that took the, uh, took the minus eight and a half for the, for the chiefs on that one. But, uh, but you'll have to send your recommendations, how George can get back into yeah. the black uh, hit us up on yeah. Twitter uh, this was a fun one, boys. I, uh, you know, we got two more years until we have to uh, wrap up another Ryder Cup, but probably only like six months until we start thinking about, you know, early, way too early uh, teams. Can we just make so, Patrick Cantley a hat in the next 24 months? Like, can we just assume, like, it's just make a hat that fits. He he actually, this, that company who makes those absurd big hats, oh. they need to send him one 
And he just needs to wear that like out for like a practice round or his first press conference, the first tournament back he plays like probably century or I guess hero. He needs to just show up wearing that ridiculous hat to the press conference. I only shuddered at people that may have just tuned in for Saturday singles and saw Justin Thomas, like, you know, fake, you know, you know, tipping his imaginary hat to the crowd. And they must've been like, what, what is happening right now? Like what golfers are so weird. Like he's tipping an imaginary cap. Like what, what's happening here, but boys, this was a, a fun one and we will catch you this time next week. See you boys. Thanks for listening to the Living It Up podcast. Follow us on the Twitters at Living It Up Pod. See you there.